All right, guys, welcome to Drop and Roll Trades. I'm Sebastian Milo. I'm Thomas Mitchell. So, a lot of news in the headlines this week. First up, we're going to start in the NBA and the association. So, Thomas, tell me a little bit about what's going on. So, Kobe Bryant just did a recent interview with uh, Mike Green- ESPN's Mike Greenberg um, about the LA Lakers' struggle throughout the season. And, you know, as we all know, Kobe Bryant's a five time NBA champion. And he's, you know, during his last few seasons, we saw. The Lakers not in their full force, not making the playoffs. And so this is one of the first seasons where LeBron LeBron is kind of dealing with that type of situation. He's made uh, the eight, he has made eight finals in a row. And to be, for him not to make it into the playoffs is kind of a disappointing season. So he kind of elaborated on that and he says, these are the seasons I should play for, you know. So when the championship comes around, you know, you know what, you know why, you know, it was worth it. So... And look, like I think LeBron James, yes, he's an absolutely amazing talent. But as the ages go up and his experience goes up, he can't do it all himself anymore. Sure. And not saying that he's not capable, but you know, this season the Lakers have a thirty-one and forty record as of thus far, and will change. Um, they're going to be eliminated from postseason contention. They were in the playoff race a long time, like a long time ago, in the beginning of the season, practically. Yeah. But then it all started to fall apart when James couldn't stay on the court with a couple injuries sustained, like a groin injury. Um, but I think the biggest thing is that not just losing him, losing all the players around him, like Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Rajon Rondo, Oops. all those guys were sidelined. So it's not a one-man team anymore. It's not just the LeBron show. He makes everyone better, but at the same time, he needs people now in sure. his level of where he's at in his playing career now to help him sustain that level. Absolutely. All these younger guys got to play, you know, step up, you know. LeBron doesn't have all, he only has three more years left on his contract. Yeah, you know, he signed originally a four-year, $153.3 sure. million dollar contract. Sure, and it's not, you know, the wear and tear on his body is not going to get any easier from here on out. So, oh, hopefully these, um, I, I believe there's some of those young players like Kuzma, you know, Lonzo Ball, some of these guys understand, um, the level, level of urgency having a LeBron James type of talent on your team. And someone like Magic Johnson, who's pretty much in charge of the organization, uh, he understands it too because, you know, he, quote, he was quoted saying, it's just a matter of being patient. Obviously, they'll make smart decisions. You have opportunities, things, pieces that you can trade, assets of that sort, or you can stay with the young guys who are extremely talented and have great upside and let them develop. Either direction you go, you should be a good direction. And with this quote, he's saying that, he recognizes LeBron is not the one-man show he used to be, and he needs help around him, whether that may be chasing Anthony Davis in free agency to add to the team, sure. or, like he said, developing and keeping the young guys who are extremely talented, yeah. which you have in, in a team but, with uh, with uh, Lonzo Ball and Kuzma. They're talented. Sure, let me retort that, though, a little bit, because you saw even the one season that Kyrie was on the team, uh, Kyrie was with the uh, Cavs last, two years ago. Yeah. LeBron, I mean, he had players around him. LeBron has always been a player that he's always put, you know, these three-point shooters. You had big men on the team. And with this Lakers team, there was none of that. You had these, you know, you had all these different types of players where they could only do one thing on the floor. They're not skilled players. When you see Golden State, all those players could, you know, pass, dribble, and shoot. You know, they all have these different types of skill sets. They could shoot the three. They could take it to the rim. All, But... With the Lakers, you have Rondo who can't shoot the three. You got Lonzo who can't shoot. You know, he's, he's improving. You got Kuzma 
I mean, he's a prolific you shooter. You have a lot of pieces who are only good at one thing and not versatile in That's what everything. I'm That's what I'm saying. So it's, I think it's really about balancing what pieces are best in what area and how they all together become one great unit. Mm-hmm. But it's a question for the Lakers to figure out still. And I think LeBron just needs to not so not feel so much pressure. I mean, he's been under way more pressure in his career. I think just give it time for all the haters on LeBron, all the fans also. Sure. Give it time. The guy knows what he's doing, and he'll come back stronger than ever. Mm-hmm. Moving on to someone who's had a prolific career and has been strong as ever, but has been slowing down over the years. He's 40 years old now. But recently he passed um, Will Chamberlain for sixth all-time in scoring. Dirk Nowitzki, the German-born, uh, Dallas Mavericks forward. Thomas, what can you tell me about this story, but specifically your thoughts on Dirk? Well, I, I feel like Dirk is one of those you know, type of players who's underrated. He's, first of all, he's an NBA champion. His first championship was against uh, LeBron's Miami Heat. Iconic, his, yeah. Iconic, his first season. Um, also, this, this season, um, not only that Dirk passing Will Chamberlain, this is also this was a season where LeBron passed Michael Jordan on the all-time scoring. Yeah, list. well, the two of them are the only two active players still in the NBA who have, um, you know, still are, are in top the top five. five. Yeah, but Dirk trails uh, Michael Jordan in the fifth by more than eight hundred points. And which, you know, you know, no, it's possible, but if this sure. is last season, yeah, obviously not. Yeah, but going back to Dirk, um, it's interesting. It feels like every single year. I mean, he, he he's not slowing down. Like he can shoot. He he still got the sniper from range, right? Look, I don't think he's sl- slowing down completely, but he's losing some skills yeah, in yeah. certain areas. Sure, sure. Like, for example, like you were saying, shooting. Um, what a lot of people don't know is that he is a prolific three-point shooter, actually. Like, Nowitzki in his career has made nearly 2,000 three-pointers in his career. He's established a trend that we now see with big men shooting threes. And most of it is all because of his style of play in his early career right his long-range shooting capabilities he's had 88 percent free throw shooter he's an 88 career percent free throw shooter mm-hmm. and he has 37 high points higher than chamberlain's mark you know now on the rankings uh, but to me what's what's interesting about this story is how someone like dirk has opened the gates for foreign-born players not taking not being taken as a joke anymore sure can you give me a list of maybe some players foreign-born in the NBA now who you think well, can live I'm, up to expectations? Well, he, he, not only international players, but some of the international players that come up to mind right now are uh, Yao Ming, you know, um, players of that type of caliber who kind of paved the way not for, not only for... For America, guys like today, like yeah, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Luka Doncic. His own teammate. Kristaps Porzingis. Sure, sure. And so... They all these different players who come international, whether it's the San Antonio Spurs, yeah, Tony Parker, Manny Ginobili, Tim Duncan, they all are international players. None of, not one of them were, um, not one of them were, you know, born in this country. So yes. he's paved the way for so many players. And also, I wanted to add, um, going back to your comment about him being one of the first few stretch forwards. The stretch forwards. Um, we think about Kevin Garnett being that first, you know, stretch forward, but it's actually Dirk Nowitzki who I kind agree. of paved the way for all these players. If it wasn't for Dirk, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't have seen Kevin Garnett shooting from the three point line in the you know NBA Finals against Kobe, right? True, but at the same time, like, yeah, it, it depends because like Dirk has always been that very reserved type of player. Like he's not the type of player who is entertaining in a sense yeah. as a person in a personal life. 
Like I think of it in terms of boxing. Two of the most prolific fighters in the 80s and 90s, Mike Tyson and Vander Holyfield. Mm-hmm. Mike Tyson, though, drew more of a crowd because of who he was. An eccentric, entertaining, whatever he said, you listened to. Mm-hmm. That was Garnett. Garnett, you know, he was always all over the place. You know, he said things that he wasn't afraid to say, and that interested people. But I think, personally, Dirk Nowitzki is a, like an all-time greater player than Kevin Garnett. Just based on stats no and question. his no longevity. Question. No question. And this probably won't be this probably won't be his last season as well. No, he keeps I agree. on saying he's I think he I think he should hang it up after the season. I mean he's going he could go out on a very high note here, but mm-hmm. at the same time, I think he wants to develop he's like we're trying to focus on this story about how he opened the gates for foreign born players. I think he's trying to do the same now for someone like Luka Doncic on his team and others. And Chris Hubs. Because he's trying to stick around, and Chris Hubs, yeah, yeah. He's trying to stick around and develop these players and teach them everything that he's made mistakes with or learned over his career. And I don't think we're gonna take foreign born players as a joke anymore. I agree with you, no question about that. Moving on, in baseball, continuing with the foreign born topic. Thomas, tell me a little bit about what's going on in baseball. Well. The, some interesting news from, um, like you said, MLB. Um, Tokyo salutes um, their baseball god, Ichiro Suzuki. Um, they will go back to Tokyo. This is the fifth time that the MLB will open their season in Tokyo, which is, which is very historic. They've done it recently, um, a couple of years ago in London, actually. And yeah. this, yes, like you said, the fifth time ever that they open it up in Tokyo. Yeah, it will be, um, the uh, season opener will be between well, it was. The, Yeah, it was between the uh, Seattle Mariners and Oakland Athletics at the Tokyo Dome. And um, so this is, this is an interesting story. What, what more do you have for us about this story? Well, specifically is Ichiro Suzuki, same thing, but in baseball. How he is regarded as one of the, if not the greatest Japanese player of all time, but also one of the greatest foreign-born players. We have to look at, in the MLB, there's such a large amount of foreign-born players the majority make up the MLB. Yes, the majority are of Latino descent. But for an Asian player to come to the MLB, him being the first, that's unprecedented, you know what I mean? And it's not like he was just the first, but he was also an unforgettable type of athlete. I mean, Ichiro Suzuki, for example, um, he's had over 3,000 hits in his career. Um... He ranks one of seven players with at least 3,000 hits and 500 stolen bases. And last season, Ichiro returned to the Seattle Mariners, where he first started his career um, in his first major league team. He hit 205 in 15 games and then transitioned to the special assistant to the chairman for the club. So I think he's the type of guy that they're going to keep around. You know, he's the type of guy that can develop a bond between... Asia, for example, and specifically Japan and the MLB, and we can see more of a fluctuation and, in a sense, open the floodgates to these foreign-born players. Like like an ambassador type of role for the country. Exactly. Yeah, I agree with you. What do you think, in your opinion, what does Ichiro mean in baseball to you? Well, I mean, like you said, like you you just went down the list. He's, the way he has impacted MLB, like you said, foreign-born, the majority, like you said, was our Cuban-born players or, you know, people from South America. But um, when you made the move to Seattle in 2001, you became the first Japanese position player to sign with an MLB team. Um, you went on to win the American League MVP and Rookie of the, Rookie of the Year awards that year. 
this guy, you know, he's no slob. I mean, the way, you know, he, I mean, this all, you know, stands out. And so. even before, even before 2001, he was playing professionally in uh, Japan. Sure. You know, at 45 years old, 149 days old, when he just made his uh, appearance in opening day this, this past weekend, he became the oldest player on the Mariners' open day roster ever mm-hmm. and the oldest position player to start an uh, opening day in American League history. Mm-hmm. So the longevity now being in his 19th season in the MLB, not including his professional seasons in Japan, yeah. the guy just doesn't stop. And I think it serves to show what these Japanese and foreign-born players can do. Yeah. What else you got? Uh, also, Ichiro, I want to add this point, which is very important. Ichiro is one of the seven players in MLB history, history with at least 3,000 hits and 500 stolen bases. The others are Lou Brock, Ty Cobb, Ricky Henderson, Eddie Collins, Paul Molitor, and Honus Wagner. So, very historic names in, on that list. Absolutely. Now, moving on to the NFL. A very hectic week. I mean, I'm sure guys like Adam Schaft have been all over the place. No question about um, Specifically, the free agent acquisitions thus far. It's been a free agency frenzy. Thomas, what can you tell me about this free agency? And what do you think about some players that have been signed? Well, the biggest name who <laughs> I thought this trade was just out of bounds for the uh, Giants. The Giants trade Odell Beckham to the Browns, Cleveland Browns, where he will reunite with Jarvis Landry, his high school teammate, his college teammate at LSU, and now his NFL teammate. You know, those are those dudes are brothers. Um, the Cleveland Browns sent on uh, Jabril Peppers to the Giants. Um, there's also been talks, just rumors about you know. Um, recent rumors about Russell Wilson maybe going to the Giants, which is another topic for a different day. Yeah, sure. But now with Dwayne Haskins possibly being drafted. Sure, but sure. that's trades. Talk about the free agents. Free agents. Uh, Earl Thomas, right, also signed with the Baltimore Ravens. I think that was the uh, very, I think, it was, I think I, people, there was lots of talk about Earl Thomas going to Dallas. You remember last year when <laughs> after the uh, playoff game, Earl Thomas chased down Jason Garrett. He said, I want to be a Dallas Cowboy. That's, you know, his hometown. So he's on to Baltimore. Um, you also have Antonio Brown going to Oakland, which is... we always As well as Vontaze Burfitt, the guy Burfitt, he got into yeah. a fight with. Yeah, so so I think those are very key additions. You had Cole Beasley go to the Buffalo Bills, and then they also picked... Um, the Cowboys picked up Randall Cobb. Jets got Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell, another key name. The um, Packers lost uh, Clay Matthews, longtime yeah. hero in Green Bay. To the Rams. To the Rams. Now... What do you consider the best free agency acquisition? Antonio Brown. Despite, Why? Despite what he brings, um, he's a talent. One of a, he's a generational type of talent. Um, Antonio Brown. I think this will be a perfect fit um, with him and John Gruden. Very two, and you also have you know Montez Burfitt who just recently signed as well. So I think it's a personality. I think their personalities will mesh together, and they, he will realize what he's really playing for. And this is. It's just a game of football. It's nothing more than that. And so, if you just talk about Antonio Brown's talent, this is, I think is a perfect fit. Although, the Oakland Raiders were a terrible team last year. I see, I see this team making some um, gains this coming season. Well, I mean, for me, I think, I think there's, like, it's overlooked. For example, Michael Bennett going to New England, that's a big one, too. A lot of people kind of forgot about that with the big names moving around. Um, Brown to Oakland, obviously one of the big acquisitions. But I consider three of them to be the top ones. And then we'll move into the teams specifically. I think the New York Jets bolstered their offense 
immensely. I mean, adding Le'Veon Bell, the Redskin, Jameson Crowder, mm. and Kelechi Osmelli, the guard. In general, you know, they spent a lot of money, but it seems like a lot of money well spent. Sure. The Oakland Raiders obviously adding Antonio Brown, and on the other side, um, Vontez Burfitch. Mm. They also added Tyrell Williams, the mm. receiver for the um, Chargers, as well as Trent Brown and LaMarcus Joyner. Yeah. But... Another one that's really impressive is the Eagles. The Eagles adding Malik Jackson to play alongside Fletcher Cox, making it maybe one of the most impressive interior pairings in the NFL, and getting back one of the biggest heroes. D-Jax. Yeah, Deshaun Jackson. Yes, sir. Now gives a little bit more depth for Carson Wentz. So I think those three teams specifically have had great acquisitions. Mm. But now, Thomas, let's move to... Go ahead. Another thing I wanted to add was... Landon Collins to the Redskins. That six-year contract. Yeah. You have Landon Collins on the other side of the ball. And you also have Josh Norman on the defensive side of the ball. So, that's I think that's huge. And I, I think that Deshaun Jackson acquisi- um, the acquisition is going to be huge for the Eagles. They haven't, they haven't had that type of um, wide receiver who could go down the field. People forget Deshaun Jackson is getting up in age. But at the same time, his, his, uh, what he's doing... He's one of the best receptive type of uh, receivers in the league. So Very true. Now, moving on. Um, a lot of players have signed for these teams already, but there's a lot of teams still that are lacking positions and, and could use some valuable assets. Can you give me some teams that you think are important and what do you think they're lacking? Well, I think the New York Jets, um, especially on that defensive side of the ball, they lost the defensive might be coach and Todd Bowles. Um, I don't know what what they're doing with their head coach, um, but they had there was a kind of squaffle because Anthony Barr was supposed to sign with the Jets, and then he just went back to the Vikings. So I think the Jets are having a tough offseason. Besides the fact that Le'Veon Bell signed, I think that is one team that we we still have to see what they're going to do forward moving forward. I mean, for me, I think there's a lot of teams. Moving, let's say, to the NFC West, the Cardinals. I think they need receiver help. Mm-hmm. For example, yes, they have Larry Fitzgerald, but that's not a long-term That's just one year. That's not a long-term thing. Obviously, they're all up in the air with the quarterback still. Josh Rosen, do they draft Kyler Murray, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But no matter what, I mean, even if they get a quarterback or keep the quarterback they have, the issue has been their receivers. Rosen has not performed because also he's lacking threats. I mean, he just has Fitzgerald, and if he gets double-teamed and shut down, who else is he going to throw to? Kevin White? No. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they agreed to terms with Kevin White last week, but he was number one, number seven overall pick. Played 14 games since getting drafted in 2015. Honestly, has been atrocious. Nothing Shows special. Himself, yeah. yeah, some injuries and stuff. But I think they're lacking in receiver, and they need to find one. Whether in the draft or free agency, that's something that needs to be done. Um... I would also say, for example, the 49ers. They were expected to go after Brown. That fell apart. Wide receiver help is another big aspect of their game that they need help in. Mm-hmm. And then my third team that I'm choosing that kind of needs a bit help, or well, a lot of help, yeah. my Giants. The New York Giants just lack in every position there is. Now with the loss of Landon Collins, Eli Manning pretty much having one more year and being all over the place. Mm-hmm. I think they do draft Dwayne Haskins in the NFL draft, but I think they need linebacker help. Right. They lost Olivier uh, Vernon. Um, the Giants 
defense still lacks a whole bunch of talent. There's a glaring need for natural cover linebacker, which they haven't had in many years. Maybe not since Antonio Pierce back when they won the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. even though he's middle linebacker. Um, they just need someone to fill that, that main role. Thomas, do you have any other teams that you think? Uh, yeah, I think I was, I was just looking at um, the, they just picked up the tight end. Um, I, forgot, I can't think of his name off top right now. Um, I think the Giants are an interesting team that we have to look out for. I think they could do so many different things with the draft, um, but they need to pick up Dwayne Haskins. They trade Russell. Um, they trade for Russell Wilson. Um, I think I don't know what what the Giants are doing. I have no idea. So I, I think that's either, man. yeah. You're a Giants fan yourself, so that, I think that's the biggest team we have to look out for, as well as the other New, uh, New York team on on the other side. One other team that I think is pretty big that we've been overlooking for a while is the Denver Broncos. Denver Broncos playing a very tough division when it comes to cornerback. I mean, uh, quarterbacks and and just versatile offensive threats. For example, the Broncos play in a division with Patrick Mahomes, Philip River, now Antonio Brown, Travis Kelsey, Keenan Allen, and Sammy Watkins. Mm-hmm. Right? They need defensive help. If you think of those players. On the offense that they're facing, you need the top defenders that you can get. Yeah, they have Chris Harris Jr., an elite option in the defensive plan, and they signed Kareem Jackson in free agency, but I think they're still lacking a cornerback. Just to pair up with that guy and pretty much put down a little bit of a shutdown on the threats that the offenses they're opposing right. could face on them. Right, right. And also, the Broncos have Joe Flacco, right? Yeah, so, that's nothing great. <laughs> well, I mean, he's he's a player. He won't he won't lose you some games. You know that's. No, a, I got it. You know what I'm saying. So, so late last week, uh, more than 100 club, clubs from the lower division signed a letter in support of the two clubs, Miami FC and Kingston Stock uh, Stockade FC of the NPSL, um, called for the introduction of a promotion and regulation in the U.S. The request is simple. Um, this requires the U.S. soccer to implement a promotion and regulation uh, relegation system. I'm uh, sorry about that. For the American pyramid in line with the majority of the world. So, Sebastian, tell me more about this ongoing development. Yeah, so this is something that's been going on for years. Um, you know, I dealt with it when I was working with the New York Cosmos. We played in the NASL, which was at the time the second division. And pretty much what this is about is the opportunity to rise and be lowered in the standings and rankings of classifications of U.S. soccer. Something that every other place in the world that has a soccer league, from Italy to France to China, wherever it may be, Brazil, they all have promotion and relegation, which makes an open playing field for all teams. Meaning, if you're in the top division and you're one of the bottom three teams in rankings at the end of the season, you get moved down to the B division, and those top three teams in the B division move up to the A and vice versa from A to B to C to D to whatever, how many leagues there are. And it's a great opportunity to grow the sport, to develop the youth, but also fluctuate money. Now, the big thing for the U.S. is they don't like to fluctuate money. They like to keep the money. They don't care about all the other hundreds of teams at the lower rankings. They only care about themselves. Now, if you don't open up promotion relegation, those minuscule teams at the bottom will never have an opportunity to become big. But that's exactly what the top division in U.S. soccer wants. They don't want them to become big. They want to become a monopoly and only own the top. 
Now, this was sent to President Gianni Infantino. He was presented with a letter this weekend calling for FIFA to bring the U.S. in line with the rest of the football world by enforcing Article 9 on the U.S. Soccer Federation. Um, the letter was written to the USSF President Carlos Cordero, signed by hundreds of football clubs across the U.S., hoping for reform. It pretty much blames the failure rate of clubs and leagues across the U.S. landscape vastly exceeds any other country in the world. This is pretty much saying, again, that without these teams moving up and down, opportunity is not open. Thomas, what, do you have any other thoughts on this? Well, I completely agree with you. I just, just hearing from what all you're saying right now, you're more of an expert than I am on this topic, but um, I think that's the biggest problem in soccer, right? With the influx of money that's coming in and the, um, the Amer- America withholding that money for the greater good of themselves. You know, we live in a capitalistic society, so you, you can't blame the U.S. for it, but at the same time, and I think that's the biggest problem with soccer. I think that's too many, too many levels of it, you know? I think it's good for the younger players coming up, you know, um, to have the, all these different types of divisions, but at the same time, I don't think it's going to work for the greater good. Just, uh, but at the same time, if you think about it, if in NBA, in college football, in uh, NFL... In baseball, you have all these farm systems, you have the D-League, you have college football, sure. which are all considered farmer leagues for the professional level, pretty much. Uh, D-League is the exact same thing. Minor league farm not college system. college football, but college football. It should more. be considered because they're all one and done going to the NFL. Now, the only difference is they don't get paid. College football doesn't get paid. But the farm leagues and D-Leagues get paid, but they get garbage money. It's the same thing. With soccer, right. without promotion and relegation, all the lower divisions get nothing. You're playing just for fun. That's what I'm saying. So that's unfair. Yeah. While in Europe and everywhere around the world, that fluctuation allows these lower levels to work harder and have an incentive to try to win right. because they get paid more and now they can actually consider it a job. True. Unlike here in the U.S. where these teams at the bottom, if, without this opportunity to move up and down, they only consider it a game pretty much. Right. And it's not as interesting or entertaining because there's no incentive to win, in a sense. Right. Moving on, other news in soccer. Fan violence, fire bombs, and tear gas force a Greek derby to be abandoned. It's a thing we see a lot of times, a lot of major issues in soccer. It is a it, massive sport, so there's always problems to arise. Recent weeks, we talked about racism in the sport. This time, we're talking about soccer and... Just a fan violence. Thomas, what do you think is too much fandom? Do you think there is such a thing? And how do you think, reacting to this story, fans should contain themselves? Uh, you know, it's soccer, you know, with so many sports that you see soccer, you know, I see like soccer and basketball being those you know, two sports where you see, you could can, you can put a face to those players, right? And the problem is, the, most of these soccer players are popular and there's so much publicity that comes with these players and so some of these fans could think they could do whatever they want you know where you know and do whatever they want to these players which is way out of bounds these people forget although these people or these players are money-making machines they're also human beings behind these characters but can you from, tell me thomas specifically like what happened in this match yeah so uh, the league game between Greek football giants Panathinaikos Panathinaikos <laughs> and Panathinaikos and Olympiakos yes. yes had to be abandoned after 70 minutes on Sunday as fans clashed with both players and police 
Um, the match was initially uh, stopped for eight minutes within just six minutes of the game kicking off, which is ridiculous to me. With a group of home team supporters, some of whom were masked, so they won't see their face invading the outside of the pitch and attacking the Olympiacos um, substitutes and those in the team's dugout. So, interesting, very interesting stuff. Just reading what, you know, just saying what I was saying. But tell me more about, do you see any repercussions coming out of this? Or what do you see the, you know, the Federation doing going forward? Well, just like anything, I think they need to be suspended. I mean, a lot of these fans, they, they filtered from the stands. They ran onto the athletic tracks around the perimeter field like it was a free-for-all. You know, the, the, the referee Fritz, he called off the remainder of the match with 20 minutes remaining. There was 25,000 Panathiakos fans who attended the fixture. And many had to leave because of the effects of tear gas. I mean, tear gas at a soccer game. Can you imagine that? That's a war zone. Tear gas. Right. <laughs> I mean, not even police but we, use that. But we see this so often in soccer. Like, I... There's a difference between... Yes, a lot of times it's legal to bring in, not fireworks, but like smoke grenades, smoke yeah. bombs. And that's different. That's not going to kill someone. That's not going to cause, you know, damage, blah, blah. That's just like lighting up a little, you know, a, a flare. You know, it's... It's to incite excitement and stuff like that, to throw your team colors in there, you know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. But tear gas is a whole different story. That's, that's something for war. True. This is not war. It's a game at the end of all of it. Yes, it's, it's a war on the field, but it's not a real war. It's not that serious, bro. That's Absolutely. And I think what Marco Fritz, the German referee, did was completely correct. You know, he was appointed to the game, and he decided that it was time to stop you. You shouldn't continue with something like that because it shows by stopping it that there's more to life than just a game and people need to comport themselves in a proper manner because this is something that cannot occur all the time. Um, you know, fans were burning their, their banners in front of the stands. They were pretty much doing, they were pretty much lighting up fires, inciting riots, stuff like that. So Thomas, what do you think should happen I mean, this should be... Should there be... What type of punishment or repercussions in your sense? We should... It's so tough for me to say it because, you know, fans are the basis of why, you know, these individual players play the game. But if you don't establish boundaries, then how are... But you should ban them. That's all I can say. I, I mean, but how, how do you ban 25,000 people? You're not how do you ban, select who no, they you, are? Well, I mean, you see camera footage and see, you know... But they're masked. Right. <laughs> so as a conglomerate, let's say not choosing specifics because police will get into that. If you're the team, what do you think you should do for these 25,000 fans, let's say? I think there's no, there's no one way of doing this, right? It's just you just need added security on the field just to protect the great good of these players. That's pretty much it. I don't see anything else um, really. There's going to be situations like this, but... No, there we will we will hear more about anything that comes out of this situation. Absolutely. Now moving on to another story we've heard a lot about, um, Deontay Wilder, most notably known for his last fight against Tyson Fury. Yes. He was with Showtime, and there was a lot of rumors that he would join DAZN. one of the big and upcoming brands in the zone. He sticks with Showtime. Thomas, just for now. Yes, for, for now. now yeah. Against his Brazil fight right. coming soon. What do you have to say about this? And what are your thoughts on the zone? Pretty much now that we have experience right, right. being a part of the zone when we went on to the match on Friday here in Philadelphia. Well, let me start off for uh, first about this the match coming oh, up. Yeah, yeah, go um, for it. 
Wilder, one of the best, um, I think one of the uh, boxing's most devastating punchers. He's 40-0-1 with a draw coming from that Tyson Fury matchup um, from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Should have been a loss. Huh? Should have been a loss. Uh, I don't know about that. He was coming you know, up late, right. late in, the, uh, in the match. But, you know, I don't hold that against him. You know, he's still undefeated to a certain degree, right? Um, his, uh, his upcoming opponent, also a former U.S. Olympia, uh, Olympian, they've had you know, different types of history with one another. Um, uh, Brazil, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce the name or something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, but either way, let's talk about the, the sponsorship. Um, right, right. So, well, he will be sticking with his longtime uh, broadcast uh, partner in Showtime, like you said. Um, Zone offered him about a four-fight deal, just a four-fight deal, not a four-year deal, but a four-fight deal worth about $120 million. Which could be, you know, a, a year or two worth, depending yeah. on how he pushes it out. Sure, but. sure. Um, this, that will have included a pair of $40 million um, dollar paydays to the fight for the undisputed title against three belt Which Tyler's is better than what they offered years ago when they offered $15 million practically. Right. So he chose to bet on himself. And now, instead of a $15 million deal to join a new place, he's with $40 million to stay around. Right. And he was also, one note to add, he was also offered uh, $12.5 million by Top Rank, who's having some big names coming Top through. Rank Boxing is up and coming. I mean, I, in my personal opinion, I think Golden Boy is up there. The money team, you know. Uh, yeah, which is only for Mayweather. Yeah. Um, Top Rank, I mean, Bob Aram is a... True, but with Mayweather's, he has a lot of young talents that he develops. True. So they're not the superstars yet. They're not the wilders now. True. They're not the guys earning tons and tons of money. The golden boy, I think, is that um, now looking at Matchroom, I think they're superb. Yeah. Um, top rank, I would say top three as well. But it also comes down to the promoters, which is a different story. Yeah. That's all a competition. And just from our experience, like you said, about Matchroom, I think what Eddie Hearn is doing is just a superb he's just doing a superb job he's just a ex, uh, you know, genius extraordinaire when it comes to you know figuring out these different matchups for even you know most importantly you build you build your skill with these undercards and when it comes to the big matchups that's where you you know show off to all the world so and I think the biggest thing about this deal being on Showtime is it won't be on pay-per-view mm-hmm. so pay-per-view is Ridiculous the amount of money for something that True. you don't know how the outcome's gonna be. It could last ten seconds. It could be a knockout in the first ten seconds. Who knows? But you know, specifically, so that with Ronda Rousey fights in the UFC, that was a waste of money on pay per view. Yeah. Now, Wilder declined to discuss the specifics of the deal, but he said he was happy that the fight would not be on pay per view. Um, for him, he's always said that he's wanted to be financially secure. And this deal is very lucrative, but he's made decisions that demonstrates his loyalty to this brand, to, to uh, Showtime. And in quote, he said, I've had a long relationship with Showtime. I consider these guys like family to me. We've come a long way. I don't feel like this fight was for pay-per-view. And I feel that when you have pay-per-view fights, they are special fights, like the ones you're going to see. You'll miss your rent money to see the fight. I don't feel this fight is the type of situation. I don't want people to pay more than what they have to pay. I'm the people's champion, and I'm not trying to take more than what's due to me. I want to be fair to the people. That's fair. That's fair. I actually like what he said. That's something that I did not expect. But being with Showtime represents exactly what he said, because Showtime is not so much, when it comes to boxing at least, about milking people for the money. It's about paying what, what they deserve, 
to watch this match, to watch the fight, right. and that's it. It's just a legacy behind Showtime. Facts. And he realized it's the loyalty, and he realized the fact that Showtime is the reason why he's at this point as well. Yes, but at the same time, if the zone comes back two years from no now question. when this deal is over with twice as much money. That money talks, baby. Loyalty is great, but at the same time, <laughs> secure the bag, secure your future, secure oh. your family. Because this is something that, you know, you're killing yourself doing no something question. like this. This is not something to take light. Boxing is not a joke. So if you get the money, make it and secure it. Yeah. Take whatever you need. Yeah, but just reading from this article, it doesn't say exactly the contract. No, no, the they're not going to get into specifics so, now. So we just don't know the uh, the the effects of this contract going yes. forward, right? Who knows? Well, either way, those are all the effects we had today. <laughs> That's everything we talked about. Went a little bit all across the board. But now it's time for us to shut the hell up. I'm Sebastian Milo. I'm Thomas Mitchell. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see all you jocks next week. Absolutely. Peace.